When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Baldy Go, the officially unofficial podcast for everything Star Trek except the animated series Voyager, Enterprise, Prodigy, and Discovery. I think that's everything. The animated series. Get that shit out of here. <laughs> and Don't the original want it in my series, podcast. Actually, I've uh, seen the animated series. So. Oh, oh, well, then I'm going to take that off the list. Great. Mark it off. Uh, we are here. I'm Jim. You're Aaron. I know. Aaron. Yes. We're here to talk season two, episode eight of Strange New Worlds under the cloak of war. Uh, Aaron, where do you stand on justice? <laughs> you know, uh, what what is justice? What what uh, what works exactly. for the most amount of people? Um, I I, th- I thought this was a great episode. Yeah. Um, and it was fighting because like one of my least favorite things. It used to be my favorite. I loved the good war episode in a science fiction series. And then I grew up and and learned that most of these war things are like literally shit that happened in like I don't know the Napoleonic War that mm. these people learned about in a semester in college and just filed off out of serial numbers, gave everyone a phaser eye. But you see bayonet charges and shit in some of these things, mm-hmm. and I'm like, come mm-hmm. on. So like, I <laughs> got a little nervous when oh we're gonna do a mat we're gonna we're gonna do a, a, a combat episode we're gonna see why Mbinga and nurse chapel are so traumatized but then they took yeah. it to like a mash direction which i thought was kind of interesting like seeing okay. starfleet tree you know people triage these mm-hmm. war these war wounds and then they had like you know what i can only describe as a pretty twisty entertaining uh the plot point that ultimately did a lot to kind of like flesh out in Binga's character and made him into like a top tier badass on this show. Now, um, I, I really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was great. Loved the guest star. Love seeing Bunny Colvin from the wire as this. <laughs> oh, Klingon that's who he was. Yeah. I was. I was like, man, this guy looks familiar. Yep. Sometimes it's hard to tell under the turtle, the turtle shell, but, uh-huh. uh, uh-huh. Uh, he's just recently Janice's father on Barry. I, I like sure. this episode a lot. I think this is like approaching a great Star Trek, like great, like capital G great Star Trek episode. What about you? Yeah, I mean, the thing that really got me is just the, the contemplation of redemption and punishment and, and their roles in justice. I, I think like and what justice means personally versus what it means societally. Right. I mean, those are big questions and there isn't a great answer for that. And this That's episode why... gets to the heart of that. Like, nothing feels right here. It all depends on your perspective. Yeah, that's why it's a capital G great. The best Star Trek episodes don't end with Picard giving his great speech, and it's like you clap yourself on the back, and everybody. It's it's the ones where like Picard's looking haunted outside the ready room window because he just uh-huh. told an ensign something that he might not believe, or there is like you know, it's like what is like. I mean, I think there's very clearly what is the best thing. Sure, but then sure. it's like. 
but why is is that justice you know like do you like if sometimes the best thing is letting the worst person off the hook for something mm-hmm. but that's still the best in terms of your country in terms of your city in terms of the galaxy sometimes you know yeah but it's, it, it, it might it, feel bad to the people who are personally affected by things that happen yeah yeah which is like also like i really like how they kind of centered that that like it's it's up to the people who are most impacted by something to get over it right or to or to you know i guess continue to fight yeah they either Mm -hmm. that's that's choice so they either have to keep fighting or they have to to, to learn to live with it and um yeah the attitudes versus people who were there versus people who weren't uh people have an opinion on it because you know they're they're they have political opinions versus people who actually did the fighting and dying and uh, mm-hmm. it was just like I said, a fascinating episode, extraordinarily well acted. Um, but I, I get, I didn't, I didn't really see the twist coming until it, it, it happened, and it also like you know, I, I it's, it has me going back and looking at some of the things that Mbenga has said over this season and last, and like things are snapping in place, like and, and even there's a little bit of his uh, daughter's arc in. Oh this. yeah, well, you know, like I that. thought that was. Uh, fun. and and also like man, going back and rewatching his early arc last season, like losing his daughter might be the only thing that was tethering him to kind of like full hum- blown humanity. You know, like obviously that's something that preoccupied him. It's like I don't want to change. I don't want to be a different person. I I owe it to my family to come back intact. You know, mm-hmm. and he didn't. And he's like at this point in the season, he's 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 lost uh he's lost everything. He just keeps going. Because like it's like I I like that scene is like you know so what are we supposed to do just put on the Federation face it's a good face you know like it is probably the best thing to do in all situations but can you do it can you keep doing it can you do mm-hmm. it for the rest of your life can you do it in an intense diplomatic mission um it's fascinating yeah. stuff one that you're personally connected to no it was it was a great episode um I I'm I'm curious what you think about. I had this feeling while watching this episode that Star Trek Strange New Worlds is telling its stories in a sort of post hoc way. Because um, we, we knew about this Protocol 12 stuff, right? This green uh, ship that you inject and it, it amps you up and you go off killing a bunch of Klingons. But we didn't really know any of the context around that. And this episode gives us so much more context. Um, but But it it doesn't feel like that stuff was foreshadowing. I've seen foreshadowing done. This feels like a post hoc storytelling. And I don't know if there's a difference fundamentally, but something about it feels like there is a distinction to be made there. Like was they it like foreshadowing. They're just say... telling the story after the fact. Yeah. Like I think, but it, it, it gives that effect of a richer, and we, we talk about this all the time on breaking bad, how like, yeah, you know, so is, is, um, a cottage industry to go back and be like, oh my God, look at this thing in Gail's apartment where it's a a statue, it's a bust with its face half like disfigured or something. And like that was in the end of season two and look what happens at the end of season. And mm. like Vince Gillen be the first to tell you, he's like, we didn't think about that in advance. It's just that we're fans of our show and we remembered that the prop guy put this weird statue in Gail's and like it's something that we can build on. It's something and we called it strip mining the past to build into the future. Like, you know, go through yeah. and like what are if you're a fan of your show and you're a fan of the characters, you remember little details that you can build on to make it seem like you've architected some plot. So like 
I, mm. I guess I don't I don't have a big problem with it. In fact, I think it feels very satisfying. Like mm-hmm. obviously this was written backwards. They didn't have Mbinga's uh backstory written um when they introduced uh, before the, the whole daughter stuff, but it's like, you know, like and coming up with like, oh shit, we just deleted the only interesting thing about this character's arc. Mm-hmm. Like challenging themselves is like, well, why did he do that? Or how did he know how to do that? Or how I, I think that's really cool. Yeah. It, it's it's borderline retconning for me in some ways. Like the, the thing that really stuck out to me is last episode where we talked about that poster of Una that was in Boimler's yeah, yeah. Uh, bunk or whatever. That made me feel like they're just retconning things. Because that poster's ne- I, I don't know, maybe that poster is there from the beginning. But I assume it's not. And if it's not, then that's like very much a, oh, ha, ha, we put that there because we wanted to make this joke on this sure. episode. Uh, this feels a little different, but but pretty close to it. And I guess that's the Yeah, and the I past. think, like we always say, there's, uh, you know, like, can you get away with this? Can you get away with that on show? And the, my answer is like, mm-hmm. you can get away with anything as long as you do it well. Sure, but there's some things that are harder to do. Some things, so it's like I, I think everybody has um, room where they can disagree. But I, I, like I said, I I think this is a good use of that strip mining or good use of uh, going through your past to try to figure out what to do with characters. Because I would have thought that Bingo was not, you know, it's like, well, shit, they shot his shot, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, but they came up with something arguably even more interesting about him. So I, yeah. Yeah, something to keep an keep an eye on, but like I also think it might turn out to be like a hallmark of the show because um they got such a great cast and such a wide crew that like in the old days if you were a Sulu, well, in the old days if you're a Sulu or Chekhov, you just didn't get plots, you know. Yeah, yeah. You just did like if you're lucky and you're George uh it's George Takei, uh, like if he's lucky he'll get to run around with his shirt off with a sword for 30 seconds. So it's like, "Oh, Sulu's a swordsman. Oh, that's interesting." But like in mm-hmm. the next generation era, it's like you Troy would be lucky if she got one decent plot a season, and now you only yeah. got ten episodes. So how do you service all this plot? Like, I think it's kind of, if if you can find a nugget of something interesting and bring that into a whole episode, it kind of like makes it feel like it's a bigger footprint because that has you mm-hmm. reevaluating all those things. So I, I don't know. I'm it's something to keep an eye on, but I I like what they're doing with it so far. Yeah, me too. Uh, all right, maybe we should get into the recap. Let's do it. Set phasers to add. We'll be right back. Captain on bridge. Welcome back to Baldy Go. We start off in the Prospero system. Enterprise is rendezvousing with uh, Kelsey and May. I look. This is another one where we had screeners. I don't have subtitles. Uh, Kelsey it's the May, USS Kelsey May and I searched I can't find a damn thing about like a famous Kelsey May uh, in memory n- n- starship Kelsey May um, there's lots of Kelsey's there's lots of Kelsey Mays that have like in- but they seem like they're just civilians like they're just yeah you know I, I don't people. know what the connection is um, but it's a really cool looking starship okay I, I suppose I, I kind of a sucker for those single nacelle kind of scout ship looking designs. Gotcha. Yeah, they always look kind of particular. Goofy to me, but you think so? Huh? Yeah, something about the single nacelle. Yeah, I mean, if I were to rank number of nacelles, uh, it'd be two at the top, three sure. and then one. Ah, get that I don't future know. I think enterprise I, I think going. I'd, 
I think it might be a two one three guy because I do like right. I like this is not this is the normally it's like a single saucer with a single nacelle and I think yeah. that looks that's fucking iconic it looks cool. Uh, this is like uh, a much more streamlined. It's not even a nacelle. It's like a beak. It kind of looks like a, a <laughs> almost a Romulan warbird front uh, glued on oh. to a Federation nacelle. But I I dug it. I thought it was cool. I could I could see that model on my my shelf. Sure. Uh, they're there to pick up a former Klingon general who defected, is now an ambassador. This guy is, uh, I think his name is Doc Ra, but everybody calls him Ra. I'm glad he's cool with nicknames because, boy, yeah, Klingon names, they're a mouthful. Um, their mission is yeah, to Worf, deliver him. Oh my God. Galron. <laughs> well, he's How can human. you possibly pronounce these things? Duras. Yeah. Woof. That's a rough one. <laughs> uh, their mission is to deliver him to Starbase 12. The ambassador beams aboard and asks for a tour of the ship. Um, you know, and, I like, the other thing I like about the scene, yeah, other than the cool starship, the bosun's whistle. Because mm. I've talked about like why do sometimes they blow these fucking things and why don't? And like I thought that the episode actually taking a stab at like, oh, this is a tradition we like doing on this ship because it's an old date. Like it's something that like maybe it goes to captain to captain, ship to ship. It's not an official Starfleet thing. It's just and guest to guest. We roll out the red carpet for true. the ambassador. We maybe don't do it for Joe Schmo. Kind of bother me. They talk about rolling out their red carpet and, tra- and they're not in their dress uniforms, which I think are amazing oh, looking. Yeah, like they're having an official state dinner and like you got these awesome dress uniforms. Don't get them out just for the fucking trials, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, is it really that strange for a guest to ask for a tour? And knowing what I, we know about this particular guest, I get it. Una and Lon are just like, uh, I don't well, know. It's, yeah, it's more of like, I guess it's for us is like knowing how many traumatized veterans are aboard that's going to, you're going to parade this war criminal around. But also, yeah, I, I, I don't know. There's all that maybe I think there's an element of like, we were just at war with these guys. We're not even sure if this guy's sincere. We're going to like parade him around a flagship so we can see all of our technology. Like, yeah, yeah. Definitely, he they, they wonder if he's a spy or something for the Klingons. Uh, Ortega's like got a black bag ready, so it's like, yeah, we'll take you around the ship. You just won't be able, uh, won't be able to see anything. Has there has any guest in Star Trek ever gone directly from the transporter to their quarters, or have they all gone? You know, I want to see this or I want to see that. If they do, it's always a plot point. Like I think Ambassador yeah. Sarek might have pulled that, but then it's like he's got he's sick with Jumanji the, syndrome mm-hmm. or whatever, and it's uh-huh. gonna it's gonna turn him into a a, a rhino uh, or Robin <laughs> Williams. Yep, yep. But, I just think um, it's hilarious though, because they're always like, "Oh, we'll take you to your quarters," and they're like, "No, I want to see Ten Forward. I want to see, you know, your famous engineer. I want to see whatever." Um, we talked about Bunny, the Bunny Colvin of it all. Robert Wisdom as uh, the guest star who plays Ra, and I like him. I think he's really good in this role because the thing about Robert is he's a big guy and intimidating, mm-hmm. but he also has this kind of gregarious teddy bear, uh, non-threatening mode that he can go into, and like I think it works both. It especially works really well when he's fighting with Mbinga at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, he's a formidable person, but you also get the idea that he's trying very hard to sh- hide that. And that really, really worked well for this um, Klingon ambassador guy. Yeah. Warrior turned diplomat. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so we go to the bridge where Uhura and um, Ortegas are talking about Ra and Uhura thinks his resume is impressive. Um, Ortegas doesn't trust him. She's arguing her case 
with some specifics when Ra steps onto the bridge just in time to hear her call him a butcher. And he ignores it and praises the Federation ships. The restraint of the writers not to have Ortega be like, he's behind me, isn't he? Because yeah. that's totally yeah. the trope they're going for. 100%. Um, and, and solid diplomatic restraint here from uh, Ra. You know, you're getting called the, out right there on the bridge. Yeah. And to just let that just run right over you. Yeah. Good restraint from the butcher of Jagal. Mm-hmm. You gotta gotta mm-hmm. love the butcher's restraint here. <laughs> well, he's reformed. He's reformed. No longer a butcher. It's interesting the way he's doing this diplomacy is it seems like that he is talking down his race as a way to disarm yeah. the opposition, which I thought was really interesting. You know, he is uh, yep. saying, oh, you know, uh, obvious, I've always said that the uh, Federation ships are better than Klingons. Later, you know, Spock is going to try to treat him to a Klingon delicacy. Um, and he's like, there's nothing to culturally experience. We're a warmongering race limited by our own ideology. Like, it's like there's a lot of internalized hatred. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's real uh, or if it's something that he's yeah. just using because it's that it ingratiates him with Federation people because that's he's essentially telling them the bigotries that they believe and then it's like that makes him more trustworthy and yeah he's, he's reaffirming the opinions that they might already have of the Klingons it's it seems to be something that's very tempting if you're a minority in a situation sure. especially if you're a persecuted minority like it's uh it's it's a way to get into the in group um mm-hmm. and I feel like yeah he's uh he's running he's running the whole Klingon race down um Maybe because he wants peace. Maybe because he, uh, you know, doesn't want to be for a, a tribunal. It's it's interesting because like I haven't fully processed everything I've learned about this episode into like integrated it. Like I'm trying to think back of all the you know like why is he is he really feel guilty about his his role? Because uh, he wasn't the butcher from the Klingons' perspective, but he is every right. bit the war criminal from the Federation. Like he did order the death of everyone that was a non-Klingon, uh, whether they were a combatant or not. So, like, is this a legitimate? Uh, like, I got sick of war. Is this a? I got captured by the Federation, and this is the only way I can keep from you know life in a penal colony. I do you have any ideas on? I I I do. I have some feelings on that. I kind of want to save it to the end with that. Uh discussion that he and Mbinga have because um, that's r- the real meat of it right when we find out that this has all been a lie and well you know Obi-Wan Kenobi from a certain point of view kind of thing uh, yeah because we'll if I step back that. from and look at the whole of canonical Star Trek I think they're telling a story of a very proud race that correctly saw that they are going to change forever if they join the Federation and okay. yeah elements of that race you know wanted to remain what they considered pure Klingon and resisted that uh, far past the point and then you then that's like the modern Trek element of the, and then the classic the series Trek was essentially uh, the Soviets who yeah. you know uh, had the that the, the, the were trying to compete keep up with the other great power uh, went bankrupt uh blew up their world, you know, overrunning their reactor, very Chernobyl-esque kind of thing. And it feels like they're trying to marry those two worldviews by saying, like, the thing that motivated, like, because, like, there there was nothing very Soviet or communist about the Klingons. It was just, you know, the, 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 the Soviet world events 
with a completely different type of culture. And it feels like they're trying to kind of marry that together because it's like, well, why were the Klingons trying to keep up? Why were they trying to do this? Why were they trying? It's because they wanted to maintain this kind of fierce, independent warrior identity mm-hmm. that is going to be incompatible with the go, joining the Federation. So I, I kind of like that sure. they... It seems like a big project of this era of Star Trek is kind of like not retconning, but trying to make all the Trek canon work and and kind of hold together better than it than it than it was doing like five ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they kind of managed that. You know, you look at their relationship with the Federation a hundred years from now. Uh, it's sort of the next generation Deep Space Nine era, and you know, it's not. In, in some cases they're allies in some cases they're at war in some cases they butt heads sometimes they don't so yeah they, they've not been fully integrated um, yeah. they're still their own kingdom but like it's like 19th century US American re- or US Britain relations you know there's, sure, still a little, sure. there's still a lot of sore stuff about the but like it, there's also you know the, the ally and trade is doing what it's going to do and uh huh and then every once in a while, you know, they'll be on the opposite sides uh, of a conflict or argument or something. Sure, sure. Or threatened to be anyway. Uh, and at the end of this scene, I really love this line from Pike. It's maybe the most cutting as you were as I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, the look he gives Ortegas. He's like, as you were after she's just gone on this tirade and insulted this ambassador. It's, it's really great. Uh, Pike runs a loose ship. I'm gonna say it. Discipline yeah. goes by the board yeah. on this ship. Um, and I don't know if they're gonna make that a plot point that's eventually going to have to be, um, or if this is like you know Pike. It's like, well, I'm gonna die, and I'm trying not to be me. <laughs> I, I I don't know, but like it kind of bothers me that because I feel like but this shit goes down on Enterprise D and you're confined to quarters for the rest of the diplomat stay because like I clearly can't I'm not going to fucking invite you to a state dinner so you can do it you can grandstand to his face how you did behind his back like uh-huh. we have feedback on this people are starting to see yeah, Pike no, as Pike's a little a bit little, of a he's lenient man he's he's yeah. real lenient that's maybe, bad I mean I'm uh, maybe he's trying to garner a whole bunch of goodwill for the GoFundMe for his medical expenses <laughs> that he knows he's going to have in a few years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to need a lot of plastic surgery. Uh, uh-huh. I need a lot of favor. Yeah. That, those, you think those wheelchairs are cheap, man? No way. Got the one LED that blinks yes or no. That costs <laughs> half a year's pay for uh-huh. a LED. <laughs> and you don't want to know how I control it. No, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, Spock is working out the kinks and the ambassador's uh, indigenous Klingon drink. It's it's a Ractagino. Um, when the tour arrives in the bar, the ambassador tries the drink, but it's incredibly hot and it burns him. Uh, uncharacteristic fuck up by Spock. Uh-huh. Like, how, how are you gonna how are you gonna program a Ractagino replicator and not even try it? Like you don't even pick up the cup. It's, I can understand not getting the flavor right. But you have not mastered hot versus cold in your code. Mm. That's yeah, rough, and it's almost man. like I feel like they should have given this to something that, like, you got the idea that maybe it was a little vindictive. You know, like I, I like Spock. Okay. It's like I don't buy that he would make the fuck up, and I don't buy that Spock has so strong feelings about the Klingon uh, Federation war that he would intentionally try to burn someone as like a fuck you. Like if they give yeah. that to Ortega. Um, mm-hmm. 
or something like that that where like they could do with a little bit of like a, a brittle smile or like a I, I, but then again yeah. it's like yeah what would pike do confine him to quarters uh give <laughs> nope. him a stern that's that's that'll be all that'll uh-huh. be all mister i don't know uh yeah I... but they just need to get him into the sick bay at all costs so mm-hmm. that mbinga can flip the fuck out so right so Whatever. let's go there. Pike takes Ra to sick bay to heal his coffee burn. Uh, and Bing is freaked out and has a panic attack. And he's got a more serious history with the Klingons than I even thought. You know, I, I knew he was in the war. I knew he had some personal relationship to it, but this is a severe reaction. Well, it's, it's, it works up because, like, you know, we've heard about Jagal so much. Like, it's been in these hushed tones. We know it's fucked up uh, Chapel and, and Binga. Uh, one Klingon was openly dismissive at a claim to be a survivor of Jagal because no one survived Jagal. Like, that was the whole fucking point. Yeah. Um, and it's like, so, like, when we are on the moon of Jagal, I'm like, ooh, this is just pretty exciting. Probably going to be some dumb military sci-fi action, but it's going to be some good character work. And I was pleasantly surprised because it wasn't nearly mm-hmm. as stupid as I thought. Yeah, we go to the moon of Jagal a few years ago. They don't they aren't specific about it. Um Chapel's being shuttled into an active war zone. They drop her off at a Federation outpost we're gonna call Tent City, where she meets Commander Martinez, aka Buck, aka Clint Howard, aka the yeah. chief medical officer. Uh and she's here to be the new head nurse. Clint Howard. All Clint right. Howard, everybody. Ron's yeah. younger brother? Uh, I believe so, and this is actually a deep Star Trek the original series cut. He played, do you remember that? Is so, so I don't think I've seen the episode, but there is like a very young ruler, like extraordinarily young ruler, almost a baby uh, in one of the episodes, and he plays that character as a very young child. Yes, I remember because he's goofy looking. Very, he's got this And he's wearing like a green, yeah. And yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh, Wow. I deep cut had here. No idea. I had no idea. Yeah, what is this? Like sixty years later, here comes Clint Howard to play another 50. character in Star Trek. That's fifty anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Holy um, cow. So like I want to talk about this because this is some of the stupid shit. Um <laughs> I don't know why a Starfleet shuttlecraft with blast shield windows has to do a low flyby to beam someone down mm-hmm. like I, maybe they said something about there's transporter scramblers or something sure but like, dampening fields they just want whatever. they just want a hot they just want a hot landing in uh-huh. in uh, Vietnam right it's like this totally. hot LZ uh, got the nurse dropped in there there's tent city like what the fuck what mm-hmm. this is the 23rd century people are like camping in tents Within eye shot of the enemy, like you can see, like the Klingon turbo laser batteries or whatever, fucking like lighting up the like just constant war. Like, wouldn't this shit be underground or wouldn't it be like shielded or close? Just like they're. Mm-hmm. So I started to get annoyed, like, oh god, it's going to be one of these things. But it, things, I feel like once they got off and like stopped trying to like do a realistic war thing and just made it about treating and stabilizing people, mm-hmm. the shit really came to life. Um, yeah, for sure. The scale of it, I, I agree, is kind of off uh, when you have these huge energy weapons. And I mean, uh, even if you look at World War One, the scale, the, the ranges that we're talking about are like, you're never yes. going to see the enemy. You're just going to get bombed. You're going to get obliterated from nowhere, you know? Right. 
Well, I mean, we're also talking about this is a show that shows ships engaging in like one quarter impulse, 25% to speed of light combat, and yeah. they're moving like ocean liners mm-hmm. within like what, 300 feet of each other? <laughs> like, it's right. like, yeah, there's some things you just kind of have to take that like this isn't literally what's happening, but uh-huh. yeah. And then also, it's like, what, what are we going to do? You're going to do a fucking sci fi saving Private Ryan or like Edge of Tomorrow type thing in an hour? T- no, you can't. You're going to do some kind of you know, essentially updated MASH episode instead of a helicopter, you got a shuttlecraft, and you're going to do the best you can. And I think they did. <laughs> and also, this is light years better than anything that has happened in previous Star Treks, right? Oh, it's funny because like just like a month ago, I saw. Was it the Battle of Valley three five seven or something? The Siege the Deep of Space Va- Nine. Yeah, the Deep one. Space Nine episode with um, Raymond Cruz. Uh huh. Yeah, one where Nog gets his was arm or leg blown <laughs> and off. It's just a bunch of foam rocks. Yeah, and like people dancing around, pointing faces uh-huh. at each other. Yeah, it's ridiculous. and everything comes down to a bayonet charge by uh-huh, the Jemadar uh-huh. and hand to hand combat. Lots of hand, more hand to hand combat in this almost in Warhammer forty k. But uh, you know they, they, they they did a good job. Speaking of bayonet charges, why have we never seen a lightsaber bayonet charge in Star Wars? Uh, that's do, a good question. Probably because it'd be put... fucking stupid. It's like Star <laughs> it would Wars be knows. stupid for sure. Yeah. Uh huh. It doesn't even have to be a charge, but just a gun with a, a blade on it would be. It would naturally be a lightsaber, right? <sighs> I feel like lightsabers are Jedi so only. Like you know, uh, vibro knife, vibro vibro knife, vibro blades, bayonet, yeah. vibro bayonet charge. That's what you got. Mm-hmm. Can right. I ask you something? Um, what is Clint Howard screaming when the incoming transports come? Is it bills and bones? No idea. It's I I, I couldn't figure out what like uh, I thought. It's like well if I if I search for bills and bones or something bills and bones mash bills and bones military slang. I I thought that make because they got this they, they got to be this has got to be a reference to something. And I don't have subtitles because these are screeners. So if you do know what the hell he's saying, uh, Star Trek at baldmove.com. I just want to mm-hmm. get that if if you knew. Uh, Tent City receives a bunch of wounded. They don't know each other yet but Mbinga and Chapel begin triaging the wounded they are woefully under equipped to deal with the inflow so Mbinga shows Chapel how to stuff wounded uh, soldiers into the transporter buffer so they can keep longer it's like putting them in the fridge uh, this is great this is what I always wanted to see I, I mean use your transporter in novel and interesting ways and the fact that it comes back later and is a point of drama with Chapel uh, and Mbinga is just icing on the cake. Yeah, the fact that this is him perfecting his saving my daughter technique is great. Uh-huh. Um, I like the idea of like, you know, you got a big battle starting starting, and then uh, just the, the transporters just going off, bringing in. It's effective, like the incoming transport and this fresh group of bodies and, and seeing this montage of them quickly assessing and triaging the wounded. Um, they don't have an organ regenerator, so they're going to essentially it's like suddenly they're back to 21st century science. Um, and like you said, it uh, it, it ties into his backstory very well. And there, there's also this layers yeah. of, you know, Mbing is not the chief medical officer. They don't even call him a doctor. It's just yeah. like, oh, he's pretty useful for certain things. It's like you, you get this idea. It's like, what the fuck is Mbinga? 
And by the end of the episode, you have a very clear idea, but I like how these kind of layer on the understandings of his character uh, starting, you know, in the first five minutes here. Mm-hmm. Is this before or after he's done the transporter trick with his daughter? Way before. This is like, I, I think, think so. five to ten years before the series starts. It just says several years ago, which Well, so like this Klingon nothing. Civil War starts at the very beginning of Disco, because I actually saw mm-hmm. where they were showing the weird Klingons with their heads. I'm like, what the fuck? This is Disco. Yeah, I yeah. saw the whole first season. And then Spock shows up at the end of Disco, or in the, the latest seasons of Disco, and then they get spin mm-hmm. off into this. So, like, I think this is in a five or ten year period. Okay. Especially since they, like, Chapel's pretty young and she hasn't visibly aged. Ah, uh, true. Yeah, neither of them really have. And then Binga already has a daughter, but she hasn't grown up. Of course, she, she wouldn't grow up much, right? She's been stuck in a transporter for God knows how long. Yeah, so I was wondering, like, how long has she been in the transporter? Um, 75 years <laughs> probably not Binga but, takes good care of himself turns out he's wrong about a protocol 12 it's just does nothing yeah. but good. lets you split Klingons in half uh-huh. and extends your life makes you better looking muscle tone did you see did you see him Binga running around in his regulation issue Starfleet underwear no he's in dude's Starfleet rocking underwear. a body hmm yeah. yeah, no, he's in good shape. Everybody on the show is in good shape. Uh, including Spock. Clint Howard? No, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hell, he's probably 80 years he's, old. Who knows? He's, he's in great he's shape. In sh- he, he's in a shape. Yeah, he's in Clint Howard shape. Mm-hmm. It's good enough for Clint Howard. Uh, all right, present day, Pike may, uh, asks Mbinga for some Delton Parsley, and his visit is mostly to check in, though, see how... Uh, Mbenga's doing with the Butcher of Jagal on board and ask him to meet with Ra as a veteran to make him feel more welcome. And so he he invites actually Mbenga and Chapel to dinner with Ra and they both say they'll be there. Um Yeah, I uh I I you know, Pine's it's he knows or not Pine, I'm sorry. Pike knows that uh, he's got a potential problem here with Mbenga. It's funny that he Seems like they are good friends and they go way back, but there's still a lot of things that Mbinga keeps to himself. Mm-hmm. Like Pike knows it's like, you know, but you know, obviously Mbinga's keeping a lot. Like he's doing literally black ops that no one knows about. So I guess that makes sense. Um, yeah. Seems to be a pretty private guy. I like his line. I've, I've handled worse than polite dissatisfaction. And then like Chapel saying, we got this, which is kind of like their phrase. Um, I really yeah. like how they they have a lot of nice transitions in this episode and this is one of them where that kind mm-hmm. of like triggers a, re- a reverie for him yep and they're gonna do that a few times um, and there's this idea that you know he doesn't want to give Ra the satisfaction of chasing him away from the captain's table which uh, yeah makes sense I also really like the symmetry they have with um you know, Mbinga trying to fix this medical bed and saying it's never been the same since the Gorn attack, which is probably the most traumatic episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds that we've seen. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, and there's that very traumatic episode. Some piece of equipment got damaged beyond repair. It can only be maintained. And it's clearly, you know, this is a, a stand in for people like Ortegas and Chapel and, and Mbinga. But like, I like how mm-hmm. they even added that little bit of. Uh, storytelling to to the, the thing too that you know tying it back into like when we were traumatized as a viewer it, this poor sickbay <laughs> this poor sickbed got uh, fucked up too 
Yeah, if it wasn't a metaphor, I'd say, well, just replace the fucking thing, obviously. But uh, yeah, I, I get it. Do you know how much Romulan ale it costs to get the uh, Starfleet medical to ship you a new sick bed? None? Zero? I don't know. I mean, we're yeah, it's not, it's that not you, wartime like, anymore. Let's get some I, sick beds going. <laughs> yeah, I do like, uh, I guess it, that, that does make sense that the only time the, Feder- the things that you'd be reduced to like bartering shit in the Federation is during times of war because it is stressing like its, yeah. its ability to produce. Yeah, what, what kind of deprivations happen in the Federation when they're at uh, existential war? Like, what's uh, life on Earth get like? Does like Cisco's dad question. still still fuck around in his French Quarter place? Do oh yeah, do people start wearing like recycled paper clothing like they do on the Expanse? Or uh huh. Yep. Then, then when the peace is declared, everyone breaks out the silks and the wools again. I I don't know. I really would like to because it's not unlimited. The Federation doesn't have unlimited resources. True. No, you don't want to know what's in Cisco's dad's jambalaya when it's wartime. <laughs> don't ask. Oh, God. Klingon POWs. <laughs> oh, yeah. I see. You said not to ask. You said not to ask. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not telling you. Red alert. Here comes an ad break. Let's boldly go back to the episode. Welcome back to Baldly Go. Uh, all right. Mbinga flashes back. You you know, you were talking about the we got this thing. This is that scene uh, to an operation where he and Chapel saved a man by manually pumping his heart with their hands. This, I guess, is is reasonable science. I mean, you could so, go in and squeeze a man's heart to keep it pumping. The first time I saw this was in, I think, season one of ER where um was it Clooney? your boy Clooney noah like wiley oh uh, yeah yeah i could see him squeezing a heart was like a surgeon and, and i think anthony edwards had him do this manual heart massage because it's the you know the thing about the heart and the reason why cpr works is there's like these one-way valves and like if you it's like if you just squeeze that thing all the blood will go to the right places because it's the yeah. only way it can go so like yeah, I remember that the Noah Wiley with his you know guys uh, hands up to his elbow and some patient's cavities squeezing their heart. So where, I guess where it's, did he I go guess in? It does work? <laughs> it's gonna be up to his elbow. Where did he go in? Going through the chest, man. Make an incision. I don't know. Well, so ER is an emergency room. This is not necessarily stuff you're doing in like the nice, neat surgical ward where you had everybody properly cracked open with their ribs. And, gotcha. Um. Uh, here, yeah, here's my question. You can't do that we're in a triage situation. Are you really cutting somebody open to pump their heart manually? Is there nothing better? No one more hopeful that chapel could be helping in this moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know that. Uh, maybe this is the best case scenario they got, you know, I guess they had a steady stream of wounded. I, I would imagine like just go, maybe go move on to the person who doesn't need their heart manually pumped. Hmm. Or get a stasis field to pump it. You know, don't get some gr- grimy mitts up in there. Uh, why didn't they put more people into the transporter buffer? Like, you could have stuck this kid in the transporter buffer mid-surgery with his heart going out. This is true. Room. You got tons of room. Well, I saw how many... at the end you had five, six, eight people coming through Yeah, because my, my question was like, well, how many people can stay in the buffer at one time? And is There's that only be a one problem? in but there. You're right. There was quite a few slots, more than one. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I don't know. I, I got the idea that like this isn't like there's not like a, the the other side. There's one transporter pad. There's probably like multiple transporter pads from multiple battles. They're all feeding into this one surgical hospital. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I know your point still stands. It seems like they could do a hell of the a lot more. Buffer was of, not full. Yeah, in terms of like cryogenic suspension, in terms of yeah, mm-hmm. forget the pattern buffer. Like they have long term sleeper ship technology in Star Trek. They kind of don't use it anymore because they got warp travel, but they, they fucking really? haven't. For I wasn't aware of that there was a what? whole Star Trek: Next Generation plot where they found a bunch of 21st century people that were in a satellite that they were launched to remain frozen in space, and they got lost somehow. Remember that huh. they had like the Texas oil man, the housewife who why the fuck was she there, and then the rich uh, stock market guy to want to know what his stocks were and. Picard's like, oh, oh, you poor fool. We're all right. communists now. We don't do this shit. Yes, I forgot about that episode. There, there's uh, one in Khan. They found Khan. They found Khan cryogenically preserved in the first oh, place. True. So, like, they they, they yeah. don't do it anymore because you can just get across the galaxy in a blink of an eye. But, like, mm-hmm. surely they haven't forgotten. No. There's definitely a DS9 where the Cardassians do that and leave, like, a trap of three soldiers on one of their stations to be cryogenically unfrozen. Literally sleeper agents. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But yeah, I forgot about the Federation doing that. Anyway, yeah, they could have got a lot more people in there. They didn't. Um, So Mbenga catches Ortegas bailing on the dinner, and we're we're back in present day, by the way. Uh, He tells her that he's going because he wants to see if Ra has genuinely reformed and invites her to do the same, and she accepts... Plus, you got Pike making jambalaya, which I gotta say, speaking of transitions, it does look delicious. Okay. Yeah. Surprisingly good food porn on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. And you just gotta watch how much uh, Delton Parsley you put in there. True. You might want to start bef- before you taste it. If your lips go numb, mm-hmm. report the sick bay immediately. Nobody will be there pumped. apparently because everyone's at at the General Ra's banquet. But uh, uh-huh. I, I uh, really like that the, the the line here. It's like let's uh, you know if you pretend he's pretending. Well, sometimes people pretend long enough becomes the truth. Because Mbinga at this point is trying to figure out whether this guy has changed, and it's like this mm-hmm. this um, is a lot more fascinating when you watch it the second time. And he's like, so let's yeah. just pretend the war doesn't bother us. She's like, I'll put on a Starfleet face. It's a good face. I, I God, I just like, I like I, it I bigger, do, man. I, I don't know. I mean, I, second time through, you wonder, does Mbinga, what is Mbinga's game here? Because he already knows that he's a liar. He know well, yes. he, doesn't, he doesn't lie to his face until they start, until they do that judo match or whatever. Well, That's no, he knows he he's a liar and a fraud. He already knows that from the beginning of the episode. But what he doesn't know is if this guy has turned a brand a, a brand new leaf and is trying to make the best of a, a, a bad situation. Now, but I think he. So it's my opinion. I think he is. Uh-huh. Yes. And and so by the end of this episode, I'm not sure why Mbinga decides that he needs to kill this guy, other than he's just traumatized by the event. He hates the man and he wants him to pay. Do we want to talk did. about the now or when we get to that point in the episode? Because uh, no, it's the I, most fascinating. We can talk it's, about it then. Yeah. I, I was just wondering, okay. like, when... No, you're you, right. You said you said that he's here to determine whether he's actually changed. I don't think that's true. Because nothing about what he learns over the course of this episode would change that opinion 
one way or another. He, well, that's the tragedy. So he's lying to himself. If, if, if you're saying he's here to see if the man's changed, I think he's lying to Ortega's here. I don't think he's here for that. I think he's here almost I think as a test a for himself. Yes, I think there's a gap between the man, the man, the man he wants to be, and the man that he is. Unfortunately, for sure. And he, sure. yeah, like I said, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that in okay. the, the climactic. <laughs> yeah, but this yeah. is yeah, this is the thing that second time through, I was like, okay, this was rad. But what the f- yeah, like why 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 wasn't Binga doing this? What was he trying to do? If he knew it mm-hmm. the whole time, mm-hmm. and I think right. I got a good answer, but we'll see. Uh, and and this is kind of a theme that Star Trek Strange New Worlds has been hitting on for a while now, right? They did a last episode with uh, Boimler. They had Pelia tell him, just fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of that same thing, right? If you just mm-hmm. pretend to be something long enough and you become it. Um, yeah, it's definitely... I, I don't know if that's like a thesis they're going for in this show, but they're harping on that kind of continuously. Uh, so we go to the dinner where Spock detects Chapel's unease and offers her a sympathetic ear, but she slams the door shut on that offer. Just wishes Rob would shut the hell up about his conquests of peace. So Spock walks over to him and asks about the art of war and its Klingon counterpart. Uh, and Binga pours himself in Chapel a drink as Chapel questions why they're here. Uh, and Binga's super chill now, surprisingly, considering like the mere sight of Ra earlier caused his heart to nearly explode literally yeah i wondered about this i was kind of maybe wondering if it would make more sense if he had hypo sprayed himself like that i was gonna say is he on the red or the blue right now because i think the blue is probably what chills you out but also he spent a lot of time i think he's the thing is is like i think that mbinga has spent a lot of time trying to get over and he's got a, a wide a range of coping skills. It's why he does the combat stuff with Laan. It's why, you know, he's the first one to be able to give. I think it's interesting that he's the one that gave Spock advice on how he can suppress his, you know, human tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that th- this is a guy who has amassed a suite of personal techniques to try to get over his trauma and not make it everyone's problem. But it's not perfect and it can be. It can be overwhelmed, but he shows a remarkable amount of control going here. Yeah. I love Spock strolling over to fix this situation. He's like a shark in the water. And I thought he was I thought he was gonna do battle with the guy, but he's really just distracting him. I thought he was gonna bring logic, level his logic guns at Ra here and really blow Don't him away. Don't make me burn your fingies again, Ra. Because <laughs> I'll do it. That rock to Gino can get a hell of a lot hotter. Oh yeah. Uh, uh this this Mel Parmakosh I I don't know what this is the Klingon art of war uh-huh. is impossible to search I don't know if it's a thing that exists you'd have to know it's exact Klingon spelling lore. number one but. exactly and I have no idea because we don't have subtitles <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if it's something like the uh, rules of acquisition where some Klingon uh-huh. at some point has thrown you know like a little bond mot from from it but like yeah I uh, I was just I, trying to I see if it had already it been in Star Trek but yeah could search it um i think what do you think about the uh, spock in the chapel this this ep, this relationship is aging like milk yeah yeah it's going down the tubes faster than his last one mostly probably the proximity right it's like, a bit but he's also trying too hard mm-hmm. 
Like yeah. he's always in here. And like he's I see you're under distress. I'm I'm here for you. This is all understandable. Like he's just yeah. And I, I didn't think, you know, maybe Chapel's just not ready. Um, she's got a lot of her own demons she's got to fix. But, like, it seems like the more that Spock wants to kind of, like, reassure and comfort her, the more she's like, oh, God, get the fuck out of my face. Yeah. We're going to see that uh, a little bit more here in another scene. Um, but, yeah. Maybe Ted's Chapel's like day. She's just a homewrecker. Now that she's, mm-hmm. now she's broken up the engagement, she's like, I just isn't even hot anymore. <laughs> yeah, can she go after Pike and uh, his his fling? I, I don't know what she is, Captain. Uh, True. Yeah, she can she can bust it that up too. I think. Yeah, yeah, e- easy. Yeah, she just got to find the next happy couple and uh, mm-hmm. bust them up. Yeah, there's not a lot of people coupled up though. No, not a ton. That, I think that's the last the, on the ship, right? Yeah, Pike and his uh, j- j- uh, jag squeeze. Um, mm-hmm. That sounds like a slang term, but it's <laughs> I promise it's not. Everybody uh, else is single, it seems. Yeah, yeah. Single and ready to mingle. I don't know oh, that. I feel yeah. like this, 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 we, we could use a season three of just like no relationship bullshit. We've had, sure. a, we've had a lot of relationship bullshit in the first few seasons of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. But, but it's also surprising that nobody on the ship is as horny as Spock that's a little surprising too you know kind of feel like they needed to spread some of that love literally around yeah. the crew yeah Captain Patel is who Pike Patel, is yeah. on and off with yeah bust them up did you so I, I want to go right to it to Spock and Chapel thing did Spock because the second time I noticed like it seems like what's bothering her is that he is pretending to not be a bloodthirsty. He's talking about everything but war, and like Spock deliberately got him to talk about war as a way to make uh-huh. Chapel feel better. But clearly, it, yeah. you know, like that's a little literal. You know, I, I think that Ch- like there's mm-hmm. nothing this guy could say, and it seems like it's even a little bit more triggering when he starts talking about, you know, sure Klingon's idea of war, and you know, him. But, but there about is his- something. I get Chapel's feeling here. There's something offensive about the butcher of Chagall, you know, going on about all his storied history with peace. It's peace, it's yeah. absurd, right? Uh, yeah. But I mean, all this is in service of answering the question: Has this man changed, or is he pretending? Is he a spy? So, mm. so it all works really well. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. But we get a flashback. Um, to Mbenga demonstrating his bedside manner with the kid that they saved uh, by squeezing his heart. An Andorian approaches him and asks him to use his murdering hands to sneak behind the lines and take out Ra, and when that doesn't work, he asks Mbenga to at least make him some his, his team some Protocol 12, which is the green shit, uh, and he refuses. You know, a second, I thought they were talking about Protocol 12 the whole time. Uh, they He was literally trying to recruit Mbenga onto his squad. I think so at the beginning of this scene either way you might be right you might be right because clearly Mbinga has like some a commando, right like he's some special ops guy who because he talks about all the people he's murdered he says you you kill real good dude <laughs> yeah 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 um so he is yeah he is like I, I feel like notorious within at least the special ops community of Starfleet however fucking large that is but um, so this is one grizzled Andorian too. I don't. I don't know that I've ever seen an Andorian this fucked up. He's got that yeah. the classic scar through his eye and the milky white. Yeah, yeah, very cool. I was kind of. I want to see an Andorian with like half an antenna. Yeah, yeah. 
always can in, in the canon they say that those are extremely sensitive and like there's like a, in the novelizations there's lots of guys that like start a fight with an Andorian by punching him in the antenna which always seemed ooh yeah like I, I can't think of a single time I've seen Captain Kirk open with like I'm gonna shoot him right in his balls well I guess Star Trek 6 but that was <laughs> that was unintentional but like yeah I'm gonna give him I'm gonna give I'm gonna, I'm gonna start to fight dirty but it's like yeah Andorians it's just a fucking great go for way to antenna. start a fight man also what are you doing with your like fucking testicle equivalents on your forehead man mm-hmm. yeah you, 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 you're things. gonna just gonna have a no punch in the face rule kind of shit is that and you're waving them in people's faces I, come on you you wanting to get you wanting to get your antenna smacked uh i i liked mbinga's relationship with this little the young soldier uh-huh. um what did he mean by the dakra wouldn't let me die were they trying to describe that he this guy this is a re, the, his injuries are a result of torture? Oh, because they mentioned that later yes. that he is. But I'm yep. like, what the fuck was he doing that would put your inside organs on your outside? Don't, but you don't want to know. Yeah, but that's what he said. He says I don't make that again. I don't have subtitles. I I tried to piece out what he's saying, but I thought he said Docker just wouldn't let me die to kind of explain like the severity of his injuries. Um, Can you imagine the torture you could do with transporters, dude? I was just lock onto their insides. Like, what what brings your insides outside faster yeah. than a transporter? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give you a transporter. I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, transporterectomy. Fucking go in there and ugh. Commander Cronenberg coming up with that torture protocol. Mm. <laughs> All right, let's go back to present day. Back to the dinner. Ra is telling more stories. He claims that Jagal changed him, and Binga and Chapel agree on that front. Changed them all. Ortegas brings up the battle cry of the Klingons. Uh, Ra says, oh, "I'm trying to make up for my past." Ortegas, yeah, is is pretty pissed off. She leaves. Chapel goes after her, and Binga's on the edge. So Pike tells him, "You know what? You should go check on Erica too." And when he gets to gets up to leave, Ra grabs his arm, which. Oh. And then asked to be included in Lon, he and Lon's next Mukbara? Full impact Mukbara session? Is this a sexual proposition? I wasn't Mubara, quite sure at the beginning. But they also said the Mubara uh, judo. It was like a modified form of judo. So I don't I don't know if that's like oh, later a we find version that or if it's Here I a, thought it was just asking for a threesome, which would have been weird. <laughs> Yeah, he put his hand like hand on his arm. It's like Mimbing is like, I can give you a demonstration right now. Wapa! See how you're on the ground looking up at this yeah, bulkhead. Really had to steady himself when he did that. Uh, it, was a, it was a really good bit of acting there. The way mm-hmm. he kind of like resist physically flinching away. A really another really nice transition as the camera's kind of moving sideways out of the conversation with the Andorian Special Forces guy in Binga. There's like this like a broken piece of archway that smoothly transfers into this the smooth kind of archways that are you know flanking Pike's quarters, and huh. kind of the camera slides past that pillar and in raw holding court. It's some nice camera work. Uh, some some grace yeah. notes I haven't seen on the show often. Although like I said, we talk about the show being pretty, but like. They're doing some interesting stuff. Um, yeah, for sure. And yeah, I I, I don't know. Um, again, Mbinga's trying to figure out like why he shifted, you know, why his ideals changed. Um, mm-hmm. And right. his like, I just want to connect with others that need healing. Um, 
But I don't, I don't know. I don't know why Pike tolerates Ortegas like storming out. I don't know why he's inviting his junior officers to this important thing if uh, they're going to just act a fool, especially since they acted a fool just an hour before. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But then Pike, yeah, I think I that the, the, getting M- Mbinga and Chapel out of there is like a nod to like, oh, maybe I've maybe I pushed too far, and and uh, uh, Unichin Riley is going to be there to reinforce that lesson here in a bit. Yeah. Um, we're going to flash back to Jagal before that. Uh, the kid that they saved wonders what all this is for, fighting and dying. And Mbinga tells him it's for everything good about the Federation and so that the people they love can have a chance to live in peace. That's Starfleet, baby. Why are we fighting, Doc? What are we doing here? I thought it was interesting that uh, Moonboy here, because he says he's from the Terran, Terran Luna, Terra Luna, Luna, which we just call the moon, uh, it looks like he's wearing the the motion picture era pajama uniforms. Like this little surgical cloak he's wearing looks okay. exactly like the uniforms that they're wearing in in the the Star Trek the motion picture. And I wonder, hmm. I can't imagine like what they're going with this. Like, uh yeah, you got this uh, essentially a, cert, a hospital gown that we're going to adapt into a Starfleet uniform in like ten fifteen years. Yeah, because that's, that's the time frame we're looking at here. Hmm. But uh, I, I like this, that, uh, you know, like we sometimes you have to fight to keep bigger tragedies from happening. And the only thing you can do is remember most what you loved about home and try to hold on to that and hope you don't come back different. But, but ultimately, yeah, ultimately we're fighting so that other people we love can live in peace. And that's like you said, yeah. that's Starfleet, baby. It's, I mean, yeah, uh, that's it's not just Starfleet, you know, it connects to our current that's culture. the way it's the, the way, way the warp core breaches sometimes <laughs> that's the way uh <laughs> probably a lot of veterans feel you know they fought they paid a price and yeah was it worth it you hope so a hundred percent uh there's a commercial break here we're still in the past uh when we come back from commercial where lieutenant trask uh special forces has decided that the troops from tent city are gonna go on a suicide run to try and get raw and this kid is proud to go after Mbinga's speech about what they're fighting for. He's maybe too convincing because, uh, yeah, Mbinga's not super happy about it. Well, because, like, this is these troops are being deliberately sacrificed to give the strike team the distract um, raw so the strike team can go in and assassinate him. Mm-hmm. Which is a legitimate military tactic, like sure. doing feints and having troops that are going to sacrifice themselves to achieve a larger objective. Like it's not, no one's wrong here. Like Mbinga, like I understand why he's like he just saved this young kid and he's taking a shine to him. Mm-hmm. And like there's that's got to be a especially, you know, if you're a if you're a doctor in a military setting, I don't even know, I don't even know how you do it because like it's got to be extremely frustrating to spend all of your time and talents fixing up people and then you know there's just more being minted every day and sometimes it's people that you patch up and get back into the fight are going to get you know killed later on so i mm-hmm. i see it from my blog but also yeah kudos for this guy to for for i guess this is a this is a testament to federation military discipline that even in these bad situations their soldiers will still have, have you know effectively follow their orders and a testament to the ability of mbenga to deliver a message right I mean, because the kid was questioning, like, is uh, what am I doing? Why am I fighting? This is stupid. 
And then yeah, Big Ed had this talk, and he he's the one who put him back in the firing line, essentially. Yeah, and I wonder, because you, you said that, like, Mbinga almost did a too good of a job, because I think what really gave him pause is when the kid seemed like he was disturbed that he had this moment of weakness. Like, he wanted to deny it. It's like, oh, don't worry about me, Doc. That was just a drugs talking. I'm ready to do my mm. duty. Like, that, like almost Mbinga shamed him into doing his duty and that now Mbinga feels like oh fuck I did this I got this kid killed yeah I just gave this guy a pep talk that I thought was going to you know like give him a reason to live and now it's giving him a reason to die holy shit mm-hmm. yeah that's how it goes how stay it goes low sometimes. fight hard what do you do now let's go back to present day where Spock apologizes for the dinner but Chapel says yeah he's not responsible he just wants to help but it's making things worse I guess because of a logical brain. I don't know. She asked for some personal time away from him, which it's not, it's not just away from him. I feel like it's away from everybody, but mostly him. And as soon as they, so, so uh, is this what a human would call being on a break? He just sprints to La'an's yeah. quarters and passionately kisses her. It's just like, that's all he knows mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on to the next one. And she <laughs> says, I, I got a thing for Kirk. Uh, can't, can't help you, buddy. It's <laughs> true. Then he ran to Ohura. Then he ran to... He's like, he's just got to... <laughs> finally, he finds he finds Solus in, in the, the Pella's, Pella's My arms. God. <laughs> My God. Someone get this man a holodeck. He's too horny for this time period. Hey, if you don't think 2,400-year-old <laughs> Pella can't fucking teach you a thing or two, <laughs> I'm sorry. I would do it just for the fucking story. What's in it for Pella at that point? Let alone the experience. That's but. <sighs> Right? She wants to give some kid a lesson. I'll take it. I'll sure. take it. Sure. I guess she could do some charity work. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> oh boy. Um, I mean, she's been she's been she's been fucking around on Earth since the Greco-Roman days, man. This, that's some some wild was, shit. It, she wasn't on the Caligula stuff for sure. Yeah, she got weird. She was in that room, that chamber. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway. Uh, city is under attack back in the past again in order to evacuate they need to purge the transporter buffer but the wounded guy's pattern is still in there Chapel hesitates but Mbinga is there to press the button with his meaty murderous hands saving more lives than he purges though so one one buffer out five buffers in that's pretty good trade yeah and the, the when I watched this the second time this was extra poignant because like he metaphorically pushed a button on that little that that young that, I don't like him a little kid but the young kid the young soldier and mm-hmm. now it's like and it's this still like direct he, but it's more direct but also it's like it's a little bit more matter of fact and he's helping Christy because obviously she's not comfortable with this kind of she's just here you know just got reassigned I this is this really strong scene that he's just like you know he's like what are you doing he's like we're we're, we're saving lives yeah, this guy is Ch- cluttering like, up our transporter. Uh huh. Yeah, we got. We can either keep this one guy in transporter and hope to to save him, or we can get you know five, six, eight, a dozen, a hundred people out. It'd be the Vietnam equivalent of a Huey just landing on a gurney, though. Like, wow, <laughs> well, we can't get him off the landing pad. Well, uh-huh. there's six. There's six wounded grunts in there, soldier. Just. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Skids land right on him. Jesus. <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah. Let's um go to present day again. We're in Benga and Ross bar. Literally they're doing judo. 
while they try and find a way to become allies. Ra asks Mbinga to join him for his next peace conference. Mbinga asks if all the stories of him killing his own men are true. And he confirms them, but claims it's because they committed atrocities against the civilians. And Ra tries to find common ground in a way that uh, the way that they were both changed by war. Yeah, I mean, this is the key one of the key scenes of the show where, like, I what I understand is Mbinga is really trying to get to the bottom of whether this guy has reformed or not, whether he is genuinely appalled by the atrocities that he ordered, um, whether he's really doing it for the the nameless dead, whether he stood for what's right and called to be like, but I think. The thing is, is this scene, I felt like this guy is an opportunist, that mm-hmm. he saw the writing on the wall, yep. that the Klingons were not going to win this war, and that he tried to do like, uh, you know, the guy at the end of Inglorious Bastards, where he tries to cut a deal. And this is the and deal he that says as much later in the episode, right? Like, I'm leaning into this image that they have of me, because that's how I get my out in a, an empire that no longer respected me, that would no longer have me. But he's also getting results. Like, in you know, way. like, and, and like, I mean, the Federation, whether he's being used as a prop or not, the Federation is getting peace deals and is rapidly, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, uh, 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 brought, brought the, 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 the hostilities to conclusion and then all the mop up issues. Like, he is instrumental in having that uh, and, and, and making that happen. And maybe only a guy with his reputation could. And he doesn't know that, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he doesn't know that Mbinga's over here stew, stewing over this whole thing. But right. it's interesting because, like, I, I at this point, I thought that he is an intentional fraud and he is just, you know, trying to do what he needs to do to avoid swinging from the gallows or whatever the 23rd century equivalent of that at the Hague. Mm-hmm. He's probably it's still a- at the Hague. That'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Uh, and. and- there's definitely a gray area right i mean you can be both you can be the coward who was no longer accepted among your own people and ran to the open arms of the enemy and defected and also the guy who's doing a lot of great work to bring about peace after this war Mm -hmm. so i I don't think there's a, a solid bright line of a distinction to be made here um you can be an opportunist and still do good things they're not yeah, for mutually sure. exclusive. Yeah, but you can also see how like Mbinga would feel a certain way about one versus the other too. Oh, because yeah. like that's what I said. I feel this whole episode Mbinga's looking for a reason why he can let this go, why he can put this stuff behind him. Yeah, I'm not oh, okay. We'll save it until the the end of this episode. But I'm not quite sure what Mbinga's doing over the course of this episode, other than trying to be the man he wants to be trying to fake it until he makes it i can agree with that failing like, i guess total, at the end total total agreement with that yeah failing but being okay with it too yeah we'll, we'll talk about it um anyway uh you know they fight for a while then Mbinga goes and showers and flashes back to all the civilian casualties on jagal he sees the kid lying dead and decides he's had enough he picks up a knife determined to go after raw um We'll kind of get to more of that here in a second. So I think we should move on to Lon giving Pike a faster course to Starbase 12 because she thinks the well, crew's Una, on the right? edge. 
Sorry, yep, it's Una. Uh, Una giving Pike a faster course Starbase 12 because she thinks the crew's on the edge and they need to get raw off the ship ASAP. Uh, Pike doesn't like how that feels on like a Federation level, but on a personal level for his crew, he understands it. Um, so he orders the course change. Yeah, Pike Pike uh, needs to swallow a bag of cement and get a little hard. Like this, should, <laughs> I, I don't think... I think Una should have come in here and been like, I got a plan to get this guy to Starbase a day early so we don't kill each other. He should have been, oh, thank God. Not like, oh my God, what does this say about Starfleet? Like, dude, dude. Yeah, captain's problems, right? Yeah. Like, Una doesn't have to worry about the image of Starfleet nearly as much as the captain does. Well, the image of Starfleet is not going to be helped by your chief ambassador <laughs> to the Klingons being <laughs> murdered by your chief medical officer, but... This is true, sure. but at this point, it's only a possibility. It's not a foregone conclusion. Yeah. But we'll get to that tragedy here in a bit. Uh-huh. For sure. Um, Yeah, there, there's a lot of good uh, lines here, too, from, from Pike. He's, putting a, he's making a strong case for why they shouldn't do this, I think. I mean, how can we represent a federation that believes in peace but doesn't allow some people to make up for their past? Mm. I think, you know... No, that's man. That's that's, and Una. She says it's you know basically it's not fair to ask these people to let that go. Um, Dude, Federation it's, it's or no, a, it's uh, people are on their own journeys, right? Even without trauma or like obvious trauma, I've noticed there's a lot of people who be the first to talk about restorative justice and like it's a shame that we don't do more rehabilitative justice, and then you know, a crime happens that they care about or know about. And then it's like, Oh, I'm going to lock him up and throw away the key or this guy's disgusting. They get the death pen of death too. It's like, mm-hmm. well, what the fuck? You know, like we, the same person contains multitudes, right? Um, this no, is I a feel tough like problem conflict to personally, when I see some crimes that people have committed, I'm like, yeah, don't, don't give them an opportunity, punish them, punish them. They've yeah. done something they knew was wrong, punish them. But at the yeah. same time, my, not the non-lizard part of me really wants to say I think anybody can be rehabilitated and they should be given that opportunity true yeah and the end of the, at the end of the day that's 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 exactly right but we do have like you you said it you said it great the lizard brain part you know you always have that conflict between that emotion I know reaction. this is what's best long term for society but I know it would feel real fucking good right now uh-huh and, and doubly historically, so, we don't do very good job the delayed gratification, especially when it comes to things not. like revenge and justice and retribution. Yeah, and when it's something as personal as what Mbenga has experienced, you understand it doubly so. Yeah. Um. So we flash back to Mbenga mixing up a batch of Protocol 12 as he preps for his mission to kill Ra. Chapel realizes he's going on his own. He gives her a device to beam him out once he contacts her. And she tells him to save who he can and kill the bastard responsible. And uh, he gives her a vial of Protocol 12 just in case. So we, we learn in this uh, uh, sonic shower scene a few scenes back that apparently his Delta Force operator handle was Ghost. Oh. So like, You're the ghost. Permission to call right. Mbinga the ghost from now on. The ghost, yeah, like it. I don't even on the musical episode. I want like the ghost comes in the belt, a uh, happy song. Uh, uh-huh. I, the ghost tap dances across the bridge. The uh-huh. Ghost, <laughs> right? 
The ghost eats a roast beef sandwich at uh, Port <laughs> Port Forward or the Port Galley. Yeah, uh-huh. no, I love it because it's it's too badass. Not the I I want to call him the ghost from now on. The ghost, love it. Uh, I got a question for you. Something weird that I noticed in this episode. What's with all the twelves? So it's Protocol Twelve. They're taking the ambassador to Starbase Twelve, and here you can see on this data pad on. Uh, in being his personnel file, there's a tent that says Echo 12. God Does a damn. Does just like the, like the numbers 12? That, I mean, it's okay. So there's, there's, it could just be a, a random chance. It's not beyond... Uh, Certainly. It's, it's not beyond reasoning that the set producer writer and you know whatever can come up with these at the same time it could be that it is like a a, a, a significant number to the director the the head writer on this particular episode mm-hmm. or most tantalizingly they're playing or something that's important to Mbinga hmm. how old was his daughter when she went into the buffer 12, 12? years old <laughs> He's got a rare form of polydactylism that gives him 12 fingers and toes. <laughs> Jesus. He says... <laughs> the, Except all the, the extras are on his left foot. The edge that gives <laughs> the edge that gives him that gives him the, the the his edge in combat is that he uses the base 12 system for counting. It's just uh-huh. no it's it's so so easily divisible. Oh my god. Um, By his left foot. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I do. I yeah. I mean, I guess we should keep our peepers looking out for twelves in the future, especially around Mbinga. I guess the ghost. so. It's just yeah, around the ghost. It was just something I noticed that was a little strange. Call of Duty Ghost Protocol Twelve. <laughs> oh, they're on. 12 I actually would now. love. I I, I kind of want to play a first-person shooter as Mbinga as the ghost. That'd be fucking cool. Oh, dude. A Star Trek combat, like a do gritty they... Star Trek combat game. Oh, what is the name of that? So, so there are a couple of Star Trek games that have come out or are coming out um, soon that mm. I'm super interested in. One of them is the Star Trek Resurgence, which is like a Telltale style, like, st- but but in the vein of Star Trek, like where you're making moral decisions and all well, that Telltale's stuff. Telltale's a great vehicle to do a tell star, uh, star Trek story. Yeah, there's one out, Resurgence, that is like that already. Um, and then there's another one coming out that I don't remember the name of, like Star Trek infinite or something which is going to be it's made by uh paradox interactive which is the Mm -hmm. ones that do like stellaris and like all those grand strategy games they're going to be doing a star trek one i'm super star trek strategy game sounds super exciting yes cannot wait it just says coming soon on steam so i don't know when it's going to be out but keep an eye out for that Oh, by the way, if you do like Telltale style video games, I guess I'd be remiss to, to say that uh, we are going to be playing. They got a new Expanse flavored one. I know there's probably a lot of crossover in the Expanse of Star Trek fandoms. And if not, there should mm-hmm. be. Holy yeah. shit. Every Trekker should watch the Expanse and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they got uh, a drummer themed uh, set of five episodes coming out. We're playing that on the day of the release, which are Thursdays. So the day that this drops... Uh, we will be doing a uh, a stream that night starting at 8 p.m. Central and every other Thursday Eastern. night for the next... Yeah, sorry, Eastern. And mm-hmm. every other Thursday night after that and for the for, for next five, every other Thursdays. So yeah. best way to follow all that stuff is Twitter or you know, any any social media at Bald Move or Baldest Move if you're on TikTok. But uh, yeah, I would love sure. to have people stop by and watch us live. And then if you missed the live, you can always see the, the recording on YouTube.com slash Bald Move. Mm-hmm. 
side promotion. Yeah. All right, we go back to present day where Ra attempts to reach out to Mbenga. Uh, Mbenga is holding the fact that he gave the order to kill civilians against him, rightfully so, I think. Uh, Ra claims he's trying to make up for it. Turns out that Mbenga chased Ra off of Jagal, so he knows that Ra was lying earlier when he said that he killed the ones who committed atrocities against civilians. Who was the fiercest fighter? Yep, yep. Uh, and Ra just, he admits that he just kind of leaned into this image as the butcher to get Starfleet to trust him and claims that his work justifies everything he did, his, his piecework. Uh, Mbinga gets pissed and puts a knife through his heart just as Chapel walks in. This this is a really poignant scene. Uh, this, this is the best scene of the episode, right? Are we in agreement there? Yeah. Like, I mean, Mbinga is like, his own look inside and realizing that he is a butcher of Jagal mm-hmm. in in more ways than one, right? Like he's the guy who actually did the deed that everybody is calling him the butcher of Jagal for, but also it changed him and turned him into that guy. Yeah, this guy's like it's like stolen valor or I guess stolen <laughs> infamy. Uh-huh. And that line it's like you're using the blood on my hands to make you into a saint. And I yeah. think so like my take on this and why I said it's a tragedy is I think that Ra has changed for the better that like he has faked it till he made it because he could have kept doing this if he just stops and walks away from Mbinga but him like let me help you understand let me help you heal mm-hmm. like it did feel like a genuine calling and Mbinga couldn't take it like uh, he was forced to kill him. Uh, Cause he couldn't contain his like, you know, the monster that this guy created and, and, and he I wonder... realizes that he's getting away with it. Right. Like this is so personally affecting to him, Benga that I, I think he, yeah. he, he thinks like this guy is turning over a new leaf. Everybody's buying it and he hasn't paid the price yet. Mm-hmm. I need to make him pay now. It's the only opportunity. Yeah. And, and so I look at this and I'm like, well, he knew this all along, right? If he was in the room and he's the one who did the butchering, he knew all along that this was a big lie. He's not the butcher of Jagal. Um, but he knew he was there and he knew he needed to pay. And so everything else in this episode is more a test of, am I actually going to do this thing? Am I, am I going to let him change me, I guess? Let, let my experiences so change me that I become someone I don't want to be. I think by the end of it, the answer is yes. Or that in this peak spirit, it shows like if this guy just backed off, I think, you know, it's like it took two to tango. Sure, but it's like sure. the Klingon is coming out of a... Out of a sense that I, I do have a calling, I do have a mission. Yeah, and this is why I say... I feel like Mbinga thinks he's getting away with it because he he's changing and there, maybe there's nothing to get away with right like he's the guy's doing the best thing he can do given the situation Ra is yeah like this is the federation this feels would be the federation what? to Mbinga this would be the federation it's, it's, it's also ironic mm-hmm. because like Ra is embodying like what the federation would probably tell you to do if you're in a bad situation um, but I don't know there's also there's a lot of self-serving stuff in that too because yes you know, he did order the death of all these people. He's he is like not just mm-hmm. used Mbinga's bloodshed, to, but he's also said that 
his personal orders were the work of his underlings. And I think there's something there too, that you have to yeah. understand that Mbinga respected the guys that he fought in a way that he can't respect rock as raw ran away. Like these guys bought him his, his, uh, you know, Mbinga would have killed these guys had it not been for the valiancy of him. And then for him to use those men to shield him from his own atrocities escape like oh i tried to do the right thing but these guys are just you know they're too klingon to do klingon first and now and now he's running around making it like this is like a a person like these are these are just personal flaws that klingons have they just can't they just can't handle our culture is worthless and there's a bunch of warlike i i I, like i said there's a bunch of interesting work you know it's not like he's come clean with everyone and said i'm actually not the butcher of jagal uh but I did order the civilian deaths. He's still the saying other... he's still claiming that reputation and and effectively saying that he's innocent. Yeah. Well, and now the other tragedy is Mbinga now is going to be the one forced to carry forth a lie. Yes. But he's also probably yeah. not going to get a bunch of peace treaties signed either. So it's like no. But he the might federation... save a lot of people. You know. But he would have done that without killing this guy. What I'm saying is like the federation <laughs> is sure, worse sure. off. Mbinga is worse off. Nothing's better. Uh-huh. And I'm sure Mbinga feels personally like he's failed himself and he's failed his captain and he's failed Starfleet. So it's like, mm-hmm. that's not good either. At some point, like now he's got a new arc that's a hell of a lot more interesting than how can I save my daughter from an unknown disease? It's like, how can I forgive myself? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they're going to. Because the thing is, is his daughter's still out there living that nebula. It would be a nice little bookend for his thing for him to go back and have a talk with, like, you know, like I was faking it till I made it being your dad. And I, like, I had all this stuff inside that I didn't let you and your mom or whatever. Like, that, that'd that be kind of a sweet little scene, too, to kind of put all this, you know. Uh, we thought his arc, we thought we knew what his arc was, that we had this other whole arc, and then come back and check back in on his daughter. Yeah. Yeah, it could be very interesting. Were they doing so? Like they had this whole element where they film all this through this frosted window of sick bay, the the mm-hmm. privacy glass, and Chapel saw what we saw, which is very ambiguous. Are they actually playing mm-hmm. with what actually happened? Because to me, Mbinga just stabbed this guy because he couldn't. He just made that made this guy shut up. You need to shut the fuck up right now. Um, Mbinga and Chapel are saying that this guy came at Mbinga with a knife because he was infuriated to be have this accusation of traitor you know of tra- of uh butcher handed right. to him i i think unambiguously mbinga is lying it's a 100%. little more up in the air on chapel i it kind of depends on what she saw like when she walked in that room exactly well but it's and, no doubt in my mind to chapel even if she she lies if she's required to she's not gonna let him so. go down and for it, killing this guy it was my feeling that she was lying knowingly in that yeah, scene um ba- based on when she walked in and stuff like that but eh, it's also yeah, it's a great line what i think is the other great thing this episode did is i'm pretty sure pike knows that everyone's lying yeah because they made a whole point it's like so he attacked you because he flew into a rage when you accused him of doing these atrocities but we've seen like three different people accuse Mm -hmm. him of atrocities to his fucking face and he handled it like a champ so i think you're supposed to understand that pike understands that this is bullshit but he Mm -hmm. also knows it's bullshit that's probably going to fly to this inquiry 
and what the hell what the, what, what's probably going to start confining people to their quarters now but like i, <laughs> well, I think that's he, the other tragedy he, is that everyone kind of knows that this is a bullshit deal but mm-hmm. what do you what 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 is saying is is it going to actually improve the situation if you say something i'm trying to decipher how much pike knows about him being his history here because obviously chapel knows is is he in on this stuff like does does he have that knowledge of how personally i don't this... think he knows about the ghost because he's acting kind of like he does because because if he he's willing to look he knows that Mbing is lying i think you're right about that but he's also willing to give him a pass and kind of yeah. vouch for him here with starfleet and i don't know if that's based on solely on their you know, existing relationship is his captain mm-hmm. and chief medical. O- well, he's not even the chief medical officer. Captain and a medical officer, right? Isn't Chapel? Chapel's the head nurse, and Bingo's the chief medical officer. Oh, yeah, you're right. How did that happen? What do you mean? I mean, he, so apparently, he wasn't sometime even a between <laughs> yeah, sometime between Jagal and just this, he's, off, I guess. Uh, he's well, yeah. They're two separate tracks. Like, I don't think a nurse. It's like commission. It's like commissioned officers versus non-com. It's like you can't be a sergeant long enough until you become a captain. You just can't. Like I don't think you sure, can sure. nurse long enough to become a doctor. You'd have to stop nursing, go back to medical school, get your. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I get there's like nurse protect practitioners, and there's there's a lot of like side area, and you can go pretty fucking high in the sergeantcy of lots of mm-hmm. different uh, branches it, of the military. It's the reason that everybody outranked Chief O'Brien. Yeah. Like literally, um, Nog outranked. Yeah, because he's like the one, the few non-commissioned officers uh-huh. in fucking Starfleet. Um, what it, was it, I... it, anyway? The 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 point there was like I'm not sure if he knows about his history or doesn't, but it seems like he doesn't. But he's still willing to vouch for him as like captain and chief mm-hmm. medical officer, right? Yeah, and I will observe that like if you, the people closest to you in your life don't understand your situation, there's almost no one to blame but yourself. Like. It seems like another thing that Mbinga needs to do is start talking to his friends and his family about the shit that's really going on. Like, he's got... Clearly, he thinks he's a monster, and he's keeping this from people, right? Mm-hmm. And at some point, he's going to have to... To, to heal, he's going to have to let that out and start leveling with people so that, you know, he can't pull this, like, well, you weren't there, you don't, you can't possibly know. Um, I mean, you're yeah, right, Chapel. they're never going to know, but yeah, sure. they can understand yeah. a hell of a lot more than they're doing if you give him a chance. And Chapel's the one that he's comfortable talking about it with the most because obviously she was there and kind of yeah he doesn't have to he share feels she the kinship with her yeah yeah she gets it and it makes sense that she'd be the one to lie for him if in fact she's lying uh but we didn't really like introduce this scene but yeah Chapel reports what she saw to Pike and Lon but she I, I think lies about it. Um, saying that Ra attacked him, Benga. She sells the story by pointing to the fact that the blade that killed him had the Jagal warlord's blood on it, so it obviously must belong to the Butcher of Jagal, which... But that's a great... That's a nice... That's so nice. That's so satisfying with, like, well, it had to be the Butcher's blade, so... I wasn't entirely sold on this episode until these last few scenes, and I was like, this came together so freaking well. Yeah, All the pieces just locked into place at the end, and that's one of the, the aspects of it, that blade not in like a morally definitive way because there's no, still lots no, of open no. questions but like the plot itself yeah really clicks mm-hmm. with a satisfying like you know for sure uh, Pike is just and, stunned by all this well and also like Pike's right he's like you know he's like uh, well um, 
And it's funny, he's like, when he says, I, he was living a lie, I saw his true face, the ghost is talking about himself, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Which I thought was great. And he's like, well, what if he murdered children? And I start because he's that's the other thing is like, I think that Pike and him know that they're kind of talking around the issue because he's essentially telling his friend, like, what if I did murder this guy? Not because of anything he did, but because of the things he did before. And he needs to, you know, he needs justice. Mm-hmm. What then? And Pike's like, well, that's why we have due process. That's why we have tribunals. And, and, then, where, I and think where's this, the line? Like, what atrocities could he commit? How fresh could they be and maybe justified in that action? And and he also, like, to that, he says, well, the diplomatic corps knew who this guy was and still let him represent the Federation and made use of him. So it's like, you can't mm-hmm. trust, like, yeah, it's kind of rebuke of, you can't even trust the official channels to give you justice. And what about, yeah, what about the victims? What about the sense of justice? What are they? And they yeah, Pike, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, who gets to decide that? Who gets to decide who gets to pay? Who has to pay the price and who gets the chance of redemption? Absolutely. And uh, uh, that line of like, you have the privilege of believing what's best in people. Whereas I know that there's some things in life that don't deserve forgiveness. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I think the ghost talked about himself. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he thinks Doesn't that deserve. he's kind of like beyond redemption, that he's, permanently broken broken again and if you don't believe that you end with the great motif of him getting biobed working again but some things break in a way that can't be fully repaired only managed and then at the very end before the credits roll the biobed blinks again and it's broken yeah (sighs) Mm -hmm. fucking fucking a plus a plus. Yeah, th- this this whole episode is probably the best episode of the season by a mile, I'd say. Uh, not that the others are bad. The others That's are that's the thing. Yeah, much not taken away. Good, but this is kind of the next level. Yeah, stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. Really loved it. <sighs> good track. Goes down easy. Uh, shall we get mm-hmm. the feedback? Uh, th- there's one other thing he says here that he says I didn't start the fight. Which, when he says that, what he's talking about is what happened on Jagal. He's not talking about what happened in the medical bay. Mm. Uh, right? Because he did start the fight there, but the fight was started years ago by Jagal being the butcher of Jagal. Or, you know, not being the butcher of Jagal, but leading into it and ordering the And if you want to go back to, you know, keep going back, like the conditions that led to the clink, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, no, you know, who started this shit? Kane? I think it's Kane. Yeah, yeah. I think Kane. He murdered his brother and we've been doing it ever since. But canonically, but, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think that that makes a lot of sense too to ghosts again talking about himself. Mm-hmm. Okay, N- now we can get to the feedback. Feedback sent to Star Trek at baldmove.com. Let's open up. Shields up. Here come the ads. At ease, Ensigns. Welcome back to Bald to Go. Open our hailing frequencies, see what we got here. Michael's up first. It says, Can someone please explain why Pike blew up the Federation gas station at the end of the episode? Uh, since we, you know, since we had the surprise episode, this is like hey, man. a smorgasbord of the last three episodes worth, okay? I'm, I'm uh, there who, with you. You just bash a console or something. I've seen it done many times. You don't have to blow up the entire <laughs> facility. Uh, you bash one console, plasma gets everywhere. It's the same thing. Uh, yep. Uhura has been hallucinating since the cold open. Redshirt guy is brain damaged to the point he's sabotaging the mining equipment. So when Uhura runs to the bridge yelling, blow up the gas station, 
The correct response should have been someone hypospray this woman and get her to sick bay. It's crazy to think the crew would follow her instructions. Although she did come up there with another crew person who wasn't crazy to back her up. Like And Pike trusts his crew. I mean that's that's one of the things about Pike, right? He yeah. implicitly trusts his crew. Unless they do unless they're making calls that are obviously insane. Um, I mean it's it's a big request, but I think he trusts her. Yeah, agreed. This is also Pike's throwaway line of we can't shut it off with stupid. Are we supposed to believe that three crews of Starfleet engineers couldn't find the off switch? How about closing yeah. the input manifold? Presses for shadowed earlier and I missed it. Pike blew up a billion dollar oil rig. Nuts. I mean, I think the whole I guess there's a reason question about like if some intelligent being is being tortured and killed in a device of your construction and someone says turn it off and someone says I can't turn it off mm-hmm. how much time do you give Starfleet engineering to get over there like how much more does those beings have to be torn because again they're higher dimensional beings they they could do something like snap their fingers and make all of reality you don't know you don't know like there is a little bit of a ticking time bomb going on there right suppose so I suppose so it's it still seems crazy to me but yeah moving on to Craig from the UK says I've been very happy with the quality of Star Trek Strange New Worlds and this season they're really hitting the strong points which brings me into what I think is an interesting conundrum when this series was announced after the introduction of season 2 of Disco I was happy and I thought the trio of Pike Spock and Una would be the highlight of the show but they've stacked it with so many great characters and compelling actors that I find myself both annoyed that I'm not spending more time with Pike, but happy that I'm with these other characters. Even Kirk, which seems on paper would be a distraction, is handled expertly. I just hope that this show runs for five or six seasons so I can get my fill of all of them. Do you think they're getting the balance right so far? Is it a problem? It's a nice problem to have for sure. Um, I agree. It's, a, it's having... A ton of great characters, an embarrassment of riches is awesome, and I've seen other shows with our 10-episode formats. Yeah, I'm thinking Game of Thrones until it didn't, you know, be able to juggle a cast that large and compelling. For All Mankind's another good example. Um, the Expanse is another good example. So, so you can definitely do it. Yeah, my only you- real gripe with this season uh, as far as character balance has been Spock. I, and it's not just this season, it's the entire series. I think they're a little Spock heavy. Well, um, and he is by far the most popular character that they could possibly doing anything with, right? Yeah, obviously. But the, the, the shame of it, like I discussed last episode, is it's also a little one note for his character. Like if it was Spock heavy and they were doing a whole bunch of interesting things with him, I'd be down. But it seems all to be focused on the emotion around his love life. And I'm not super interested in that. Yeah. So uh, that's the only problem. What do you think? Five or six? I, so the only thing I think stops this show is if Paramount Plus collapses, which is a possibility. Sure. All of these streaming services, but except maybe Max and Apple are running at a loss. And like Apple does have the war chest to run losses like that. But like the others are running off, you know, essentially startup money and found them and and, uh, and and they just don't. So if we have a big. Uh, is there another possibility here with the strike? Uh, everybody's out of work right now. Mm-hmm. When the strike is off, when they reach a deal, um, all work is going to be back on, and there's going to be mm-hmm. a huge backlog of things that like they're looking to cast for. Is it possible that some of these actors are moving on to bigger, better things after this strike is over? 
Not unless they get because they'll be given opportunities. Because that's the thing. Like I go, I don't, I don't think so. Well, once like, the it, floodgates it, open again, like that's what I'm saying. Like there will be so much stuff that needs to be casted for, right? So I think the real concern is if the strike lasts long enough that there's some kind of force majeure contract because like most of these people in Stranger Worlds are still very much under contract probably will be for a few more seasons mm. but like and I don't think those those contracts just evaporate because there's a strike but I'm sure that if they're you know if for whatever reason production shoots shuts down for more than X amount of days months weeks it's probably in the contract you know because Hollywood's been around a long time this shit's happened yeah, you can't that, keep like, someone under contract indefinitely no, yeah. if they decide not to yeah. do a season three you can't right? just like well <laughs> like, we're not gonna make Star Trek Strange New Worlds yeah. for ten more seasons so Anson Mount get fucked if you want to try to do a, a, any other project right. so I, I don't but what if Anson so. Mount is offered like Marvel money to go star in the next Marvel movie that's shooting for 16 weeks and they can't I mean, they make do, Star they, Trek in the I, meantime I, know, I, never fig- I never know that because I've, I've seen that a ton of times where it's like oh we're shooting around this guy's schedule because he's got so there must be some kind of like pecking order where if you get it can be done yeah and you know you try to you try to work around do both but i, I don't think you can just like get out of one in favor of the other but uh, i'm more worried mean, like, about if all the those strike. contracts expire if some clauses hit and then i don't know yeah. it's because it's gonna be weird with like everybody trying to cast actors all at once because usually it's yeah. like well we've got a movie role coming up and you know you're mid-season on this shoot, but you can take an audition and then go land it for the break. But does that make sense though? Because like we've got, it's not like there's one in the factory that's still running. Mm-hmm. So it's like I feel like you're saying there's a giant vacuum of parts that are going to have to be filled. But well, like, every TV show, think think of like all the TV shows that would have been spaced out over the next year or so with filming. Yeah, they're all going to be wanting to film at the same time, right? Are they? Because then it's like because like if you're smart on the going out the factory side even if you do have a glut of things you'd still want to like space those out because there's a limited amount of demand like if you'd release everything that would have come out in 2023 in the first half of 2024 with all this stuff that would have come out in 2024 like i but the thing is is like that's saying that the businesses are going to act smart and that that doesn't necessarily (laughs) always happen because if they're smart i don't think the strike could be happening they just pay what is a very small fraction of the revenue they're at being asked to share from this stuff. They just paid to keep the billions of dollars being made, mm-hmm. but they're not doing that because they want the whole fucking pie. So, but yeah. that's the thing as a fan I'm worried about is uh, you already have a bunch of stress on a pretty weak streaming ecosystem. We're probably going to be in the next decade looking at tons of aggregation, like all these paramount and uh, uh, peacock and, UPN and CW plus whatever uh, they're all going to like start forming like giant because they, they, they can't survive independently and I wonder if this yeah. strike puts on enough stress on shows where you know they're already kind of like I, I, I feel like the even though that it's clearly a lot of money being spent on it that like Strange New Worlds probably as bad as cheap as they can film it as they possibly can you mm-hmm. know they're already filming it in Canada uh, they're already doing making use of like the volume and stuff like so it's like if if this stresses Paramount the, and it's it's parent company enough that they have to make deep cuts, but like goddamn, the Star Trek property's got to be the last thing that they'd think to cut. Because you would think the so. Best it's synonymous with got. Paramount for me. Yeah, it's like and it's popping off. Like people, they got yeah. a you got they got a lot of buzz with that last season Picard. They're getting a lot of love for the Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. Disco. It's funny because like its I was certainly. 
when we started Strange New Worlds, like I, the full coverage, I'm like, man, are we going to look stupid? Because like, do I like this just because it's Star Trek? And But like, I'm hearing more and more from Star Trek, not just in feedback, but like in forums and stuff that like people really do feel like this is a return to form. So I would think mm-hmm. you got to keep that because this could be movie potential, you know? Yeah, they could. They could. They decide to do movies with Star Trek. I know they're they're doing one. Um, or what if they just with, smoothly go into a reboot of the Yeo? old series? They just you know, one? like keep O'Hara, keep Spock. Another reboot of the old series. Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but but do it serious, not like J.J. Abrams action movie style. Like just keep doing mm. it in the or maybe Strange New World just becomes Star Trek the old series, the early years. I don't know. It'd be cool. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be cool. I don't say no to that. Um, one question in a battle of hairdo, who wins, Pike or Boimler? Uh, I mean, I'm Pike. Are we talking about Without weirdest hair, or are we talking about hair that's going to get you places? Because Boimler might win the former, but Pike's yeah. crushing him in the latter. Uh, Chris DC, is it just me, or does the actor who plays Jim Kirk look a lot like Jim Carrey? Every time he's on, I just can't help but think of the skit from the 90s mm. show in Living Color where Jim Carrey plays Kirk in The Wrath of Farrakhan. Uh, he oh, linked God. this episode. And I, yeah, I it's like it's been this. a while, but as soon as, as soon as Jim Carrey started his shit up, I'm like, right, yes. Mm. And the thing is, he's right. This yeah. is a lot of Jim Carrey, Shatner. I'm not saying it's ruining it for me, but fuck you, Chris, for putting this into my head. <laughs> I just issued a public apology to the man. I don't want to have to retract it. Come on. Uh, also, are you ready to hear a genius fucking idea and something oh, no. they got to get on? They got to get on. Yeah, let's let's hear it. If they bring Jim and Sam's dad on the show, it has to be William Shatner. <laughs> uh, yeah, boy, they better do that soon. But how much? I, and I don't. I don't even know if Shatner's got it in the tank. He might be like in bad shape because I don't. He think does, I've man. Seen him. I, but he's on social media like all he, the time. He's still everywhere. He's got so many projects in the works. He was just on a Mark Maron interview, I guess. For real? And, he, so he's he's got his fucking right mind and physically. Yes, mm-hmm. make this happen. Oh my God, make this happen. And and maybe they teased it. Maybe that's what the saddle was about last episode. Oh, it'd be so famous good. horse lover. Yeah, it's like he's like, well, I'll come out on your stupid Star Trek show, but I have to be sitting in a saddle at all times. Uh huh. Say less, <laughs> say less, Billy. We got gotcha. you. He's gonna swing his leg over it. He's gonna say Shatner. <laughs> uh, well, this what's funny is it's because it's just a saddle it. on a podium. They're gonna tell him it's gonna be a CGI horse. No, you'll be riding the horse. Uh, it's gonna look good. But no, he's just actually riding. <laughs> Pikes. Saddle. You think he'd stand for that? He'd say, "Give me the fucking horse." I'm not sitting. No, on he'd this, sit on a saddle for it. CG. No, no, I, he wants the horse, man. <laughs> Give him the whole horse or nothing. You think Shatner's got that much suction? You think he's got that? He can call the shots. Oh yeah, he'd bring a horse from home. True. I brought my personal got, horse in. Yeah, I got I got twelve. I, I brought I brought a, a whole fleet of them. <laughs> See which one works best on camera for you, boys. Mm-hmm. It's a great idea. They should get on that. Uh, Drew, super enjoying Strange New Worlds. I think it's the best Star Trek since Voyager and Deep Space Nine. There's only two flaws I've identified. Pella. Like Jim, I find her character quite annoying. She felt shoehorned into the ship from the get-go this season, even though her complete disregard for cleanliness, regulations, and orders may come from a thousand years of maturing experience. It still smacks the same kind of punkish hubris of youth we got from Michael Burnham in Discovery Season 1, which I also did not care for. Hmm. 
Kirk. I was very wary of all the recastings at first, but Peck has consistently impressed me as a proper send-up of Spock, as has Gooding with Uhura. Both have been fantastic, but Wesley? Just missing it. You can tell the writing is there for younger Kirk, but the portrayal at every point feels more like Jerry's <laughs> Jim Carrey's Mad TV Kirk than a proper attempt at <laughs> portrayal. All right. I mean, he says maybe it's just Wesley's uh, Carrie-esque jawline talking. It, 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 it is a lot of, there is a lot of, a lot of the wrath of Farrakhan in this performance. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. I wish I didn't see it. But now, thanks to Drew and Chris, I'm, I'm seeing it. Um, I don't think it's fatal. I, I The thing is, is like, I was touch and go on Kirk when I first saw him. The more I'm seeing him, the more I'm liking him. Nice. And I do think they're also trying to rein in some of the sexism from the early goings of Star Trek. Like, you know, Uhura wears a skirt, but she's wearing with full leggings and Unichin Riley's in us. But like, you know, they are consciously trying to profesh up Starfleet um, mm-hmm. and Kirk having a little bit of a sensitive side. He's not quite just an unrepentant womanizer. Um, is a step but in the right still direction. Likes, he still likes the ladies. There's nothing wrong with no. liking women. There's nothing. It's just the, it's, <laughs> Turns it's out, the womanizer. Yeah. 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 There's a fine line between the playboy and the womanizer. There's not, actually mm-hmm. not that fine of a line. It's a pretty big gulf. Not that hard to fall into that gutter. <laughs> but, but yeah. Actually, not that hard not to be a, a fucking scumbag if you want to mm-hmm. be a male slut. But. Uh, we'll see if Kirk can put on a clinic here. Uh, Keith says, just finished listening to your discussion of those old scientists, and I wanted to point out the met- one of the meta jokes I really like that you might have missed. When Ransom from the Lower Deck says at the end that Una is the hottest first officer in Starfleet history, it's because Ransom is played by Jerry O'Connell, who is married to Rebecca Romine, oh. who plays Una in real life. Nice. I didn't know he played Ransom. I didn't know he played that either. I did know Jerry O'Connell her miss, but like, and I just thought it was just him being some meathead dude, being like, you know, like essentially course, yeah. betraying what they said. That's like, oh, uh-huh. it's just a, it's just a, and he's like, oh, it's a hot. But that's super fucking cute. That's How cute a, is the that? Double layer. I, I love it. That's perfect. Yeah. Like Aaron, I'm not a fan of Lower Decks, but I thought this episode worked pretty well. In fact, I was able to continue some of the Star uh, Strange New World character arcs. Made it much better than I expected. Strange New World crossover with Lower Decks. All right. That's a much yeah. easier crossover. You just have to get some dudes in a some dudes and some dudettes into a, a voice booth, but uh-huh. uh, might be a way to get me into Lower Decks. I don't know. Uh, from an anonymous source, they said, regarding the animated titles that started those old scientists, they didn't play it entirely straight, as you suggest. They show the space creature sucking on one of the nacelles like they do at the Cerritos on the Lower Decks title sequence. I didn't even oh. notice... I missed that because honestly I probably watched the first 10 seconds of title sequences and like holy fuck that looks so good I almost thought and then I started looking at my notes and yeah I was writing look how cool this animated title yeah 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 but that's cute that's cute that they they dirtied it up just a little bit Mm mm-hmm Alan says, I completely agree with Aaron. The original series is the best main crew characters. However, I never really took to the TNG crew at all, though I did end up liking Jean-Luc and Inner Light. Holy shit. You never warned really? about the TNG until the most boring episode in the whole fucking <laughs> catalog, huh? Boring. Huh? It's not boring. I need to it's watch just... Inner Light as an adult. I was really... Yeah, because yeah. You guys don't know, but like a couple years back, we started watching the Next Generation on Sci-Fi Sundays on our twi- when uh, Twitch rolled out the watch party feature, and right we were like deep in se- like starting season four, I think, and they pulled the Star Trek library, probably because Star Trek 
uh, uh, Paramount Plus came out and mm-hmm. we were no longer able to do that. But I was excited because like that's one of those ones where I remember it got all the in- Emmy nominations. Uh, it got a lot of public notice. And as a kid, I'm like, this fucking blows. Why yep. do I want to see just have best get- of both worlds and you're going to you're going to nominate this shit? flute playing bullshit no i i so like guy that's a that's a hot take and i probably wouldn't stand by it as a as an adult but i haven't haven't gotten around to see that again i've seen it as an adult and i very much appreciated that episode says i would take the voyager crew over the the next generation (laughs) crew well it's crazy talk uh people confessing a lot of things this episode and binga's the the ghost and the butcher and uh, alan prefers voyager to star trek the next generation all right also adores Citizen Kane. There's plenty of old black and white movies that film buffs speak of and reverential tones that I find boring, but not that one. It's funny and fast paced, not to mention beautifully framed and acted. I mean, look, we just did a yeah. what we did a podcast on this earlier this year. I've got watched mm-hmm. this freshly in a professional capacity. Everything you say is true, but also I don't expect people to get the charms of Citizen Kane because it is a very old film. Uh, well, I would say ask and- the public how many of you have seen Citizen Kane and the vast majority of them will have not seen it yeah and you could give them a DVD a Criterion Blu-ray uh-huh. and be like you should watch this it's critically uh, culturally aesthetically significant and they'll be like oh thanks and then they'll keep watching Strange New Worlds because uh-huh. it's like eating candy and Citizen Kane tastes like eating green beans so and if they did watch it they'd probably like it but yes. they just don't want to give it a chance because it's so freaking old. I also, it's like one of those things where like I doubt, you know, there's not probably a lot of 16 year olds that are watching Citizen Kane. So, I mean, you know, getting blown away by it. But like, if you, if you're talking about the adult population, I agree, but like, that's my son. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and I was the same way. Like I, it was, a, it was hard for me to get into a black and white film when I was a kid growing up. My for son's sure. like, he can sniff out 1970s film grain. Yeah. Like he sees five seconds like dad is this an old movie i'm like fuck man it's color i think it was made after i was born what do you but he knows he knows mm-hmm. he knows well show um, him show him taxi driver show him uh he's i i think i in his 20s is when i start introducing him to some of my <laughs> yeah. favorite like the godfather you know the god sure show him show him some of the best cinema from the 70s i'll probably change his tune we'll see it's what did we'll it for see. me we'll see uh, Zach says, I was studying, uh, or no, I'm sorry, I was listening to the podcast and you were asking about archaeological, archaeological medicine as a field of study. This actually exists on Earth. I listened to Wild. a Radio Lab episode about two scientists who are working on recreating middle-aged recipes for treating infections, and they work. It's an interesting episode in a branch of science. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like we all like to do herder leeches and plague doctors <laughs> with their bird mask and incense, but like they did shit because it usually worked. Out of pride, like mm-hmm. it, there might be only one thing out of the six things they're smearing on you that has any effect at all, but something in there is yeah. is is working. Um, but the, I don't know. They also drilled holes in people's heads randomly, and and does it work as effectively as the solutions we have today? No, uh, it's an entirely different question. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I think when you're dealing with alien civilizations, that's where you can start to say archaeological medicine has could potentially have some real value. Yeah. to our modern understanding after watching lost in translation i have some questions about universal translators once they're implanted how can you possibly learn to speak a new language if i'm trying to learn spanish by the universal <laughs> translator won't it all sound like english how do people study languages in star trek 
Uh, is that an irony? I can never tell. How good is the translator in subtleties? If I say friend versus buddy or comrade, uh, there are subtle differences in the word usage. And can people quote other languages? For example, if I were feeling fancy and said, oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ, Aliyah, Iakta, Est, would everyone just hear the die is cast? Cachet Lavier. Could you say <laughs> and that? And waste my totally unjustified Franciness? Yeah. Um, no, that's all good questions. So, so in my mind, what's happening here is that you are thinking of the language that you want to use. You're thinking of the words you want to say, and you're actually speaking the language of the person that you're talking to. So, oh. Because they don't have universal translators, right? Like Andorians, well, they might because they're in Starfleet or they're mm. in the Federation, but like Klingons... They don't have universal translators embedded in their skull. So how do they understand you, even if you can understand them? Well, I assume. Because I feel like everyone's got universal translators that. And I assume you can turn it, even the internal implant, you can turn it off with some kind of like muscle twitch or some kind of like tongue swirl pattern or blinking. No pun intended. This is all headcanon. But, no, yeah, because the thing yeah. is, is the universal translator doesn't make sense, especially like mm-hmm. I always thought it's fun when like Picard's with the Klingons and he's talking like the King's English and all of a sudden he throws in a Klingon word, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it's like, so what happened there? Did the universal translator stop translating it because he knows that Picard's trying to flash out with Klingon? But, How do you order a Ractagino from the replicator? Right, right. Since that's a Klingon it word. Just, it just, yeah, just translate to coffee and you just keep getting a cup of joe, you know? Uh-huh. Um, the reality is, like, I, you're not supposed to think too hard about that. In fact, there's <laughs> right. a whole section in this the, the Next Generation Technical Manual that says, like, yeah, the Universal Translator. There's this couple things. Like, Universal Translator and Transporter Technology only exist because it makes the writer's job easier. Mm-hmm. Until you know? it makes the writer's job harder and then they forget that it exists. Or they explain True. why it can't be used true and that's like the thing is is like every once in a while they, they there's not a lot of lost in translation types episodes like and they stand out like uh Darmok. you know darmok right is a classic example and they mm-hmm. had to come up with like oh the whole thing about this is this translation is all about these idioms and they don't you know like the translator is not translate it that it doesn't have the proper context it can't translate it needs so it's like they have to, but i actually think that's kind of cool mm-hmm. um because otherwise, I'd have to be watching a lot of dubbed Klingon with actors not able to speak Klingon correctly because it's a hard. Le- it just is just better. It's just better. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and that's it. Star Trek at boldmove.com is how you get in touch with us for feedback for this show. Uh, of course, if you want to follow along with us, want to know more about that, uh, the Expanse um, uh, Telltale game we're going to be playing through and the bad guy drummer style. You can follow us on all the social medias at Bald Move, except for TikTok. We're at Baldest Move there. Uh, and if you'd like to support what we're doing, if you if you like what we're doing here at Star Trek and you want to keep us going, honestly, probably could, you know, it hasn't gotten, it hasn't really set in, but with the strike looming, uh, probably going to be not as many new projects coming out, which is probably our bread and butter. Uh, if you want to help, mm-hmm. uh, help us through some of these tough times coming up, we could use your support, support.baldmove.com. It's quick and easy. Uh, to, get, to, to give us uh, your direct support and you get a bunch of cool stuff, ad-free feeds, uh, bonus audio video content, support.baldmove.com. 
Thanks very much for joining us on our continuing mission here at Strange New Worlds. We'll be be back next week. I think next week is the uh, the musical number. I'm very excited to see what a musical episode of Star Trek looks like. Yeah, and Jim is very not excited. Who, uh, I, I'm I'm curious about it. <laughs> I I don't think it's going to be my favorite episode, but I'm curious yeah. to see who sings and who doesn't. Who who does the Shatner mm. version of singing and who really goes for it? Who gets the universal translator of singing? Who gets auto-tuned uh, and who can actually do it? Any That's predictions? Any guesses? As to who's going to be like the spoil sport who won't? I bet a hurricane belt. Oh, yeah. yeah. I bet she can belt. I bet. I bet in a surprise, Spock is going to be really good. I was actually saying, as I guess Ethan Peck, I haven't, I haven't learned all these cast names. I bet, I bet he, I bet, I bet Anson Mount is terrible. Uh, he's going to do the Shatner thing. If anybody's going to do the Shatner, like, speech singing thing it's gonna yeah. be him oh god i forgot oh, it'd be great Shatner if they had james kirk a... on it and they had him do that wouldn't it oh my god <laughs> a rocket man yeah i was about to say i'm the rocket man <laughs> that'd be so uh, good they gotta do yeah. that yeah you do you still have that album because you uh-huh. used to transform own... man yeah i have all of shatner's albums that you got me Deep the christmas cut. one last yeah. year two years ago he hasn't seen Voyager, but he owns every LP that Shatner's ever made. <laughs> and, yeah. Hasn't even seen the old series all the way through, but he has every uh, album Shatner's made. That's a podcast for this week. We'll see you next time. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. See ya.